We have so many differences as human beings, and nowhere is that more apparent than in marriage. How do we come together in our relationships? Can we resolve the different ways we see the world? Will we make villains or lovers out of our spouses? What kind of story will we write? All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. So good to see you. Do me a favor, put your hands together. Help me welcome all of our first time guests, both in room and online. So glad to be worshiping with you guys. Uh, so, hey, before we get into the message, I want to highlight the announcement you just saw, the commercial for Ignite Weekend for our students. Today is the last day to register. So the good news is if you're here in the building, you can simply do that in the lobby on your way out. If you're online, uh, you can do that on our website or app as well. You don't want to miss out on this for your students, so make sure you get registered for that. Uh, so, hey, we're wrapping up a short little three-part marriage series we've been doing. And uh, before we get into that, a couple of reminders. Reminder number one, if you're single, uh, there is always something that translates from a good marriage principle to every other relationship in your life, so don't tune this out just because you're not married yet. Uh, the second reminder, I, I haven't done yet in this series, and so you have to forgive me for that. I, I should have been doing it each week, but I also want to speak if you're divorced. I, I want to make sure that as you're listening to this message, you're not allowing the enemy the opportunity to bring condemnation. Uh, allow God to speak hope and, uh, and, and talk to you about your future maybe. Um, just uh, make sure it's the voice of the Holy Spirit that you're hearing as we're doing this. And then the last reminder, guess what's happening tonight, everybody? We're gonna be back here at 6 p.m. for our physical intimacy and sex Q&A. Who's excited for that? That was weak. I know. All right, well, anyway, so here's the point. Look, everybody's got questions. Everybody's wondering what the Bible says about or what God thinks about. Uh, if, if you don't come and, and you know, write your questions out for the pastors, then you end up with the internet. And who knows what you'll find on the internet. So, hey, if you're coming in the building, uh, the way this will work, you'll either text your questions or you will anonymously write them on sheets of paper in the lobby and, and we'll get those up on the screen. If you're online, I need you to pay very close attention because when we stream it today, first of all, we will not archive it. It is a live event only at 6 p.m. Eastern. And also, due to the content, this will not be on Facebook or YouTube or some of those other ways that we normally stream our services that you may be used to watching. The only way that you can see it online tonight is at our website, gracelife.church, again, 6 p.m. only as well. And uh, you also will be able to participate by texting in your questions, so it'll be just like being here in the room as much as possible. So there we go. Well, hey, everybody, before we get started, help me welcome, please welcome my wife. She just uh, loves being up here with me. And uh, so and before we do get into the message for today, apparently we need to give you a follow-up story. Um, you know, last week we shared the story, my wife shared the story of what God said to her uh, about sending her mother home after the two months here. If you missed that, you're gonna have to go back and get that in uh, part two online. But we, uh, we talked about how my wife made the decision to send her mom home. I voted to send her mom home. And what we didn't tell you what her mom thought of it all. And we've gotten so many requests uh, to hear the rest of the story, so we're just gonna open up. You know, some people open up with a joke. This is a true story. And uh, so what happened after my wife told her mom that she was going to be going home, she decided otherwise. Uh, a Romanian mother-in-law, Romanian mom is not someone that you tell what they're going to do. They tell you what they're going to do. That's how it kind of works in the, the culture there. So uh, she just decided somehow she would 
supersede our instructions to go home. We had the plans. Uh, we lived about two hours from the airport at the time, and uh, we were going to go to church, come home, get all of her stuff, put it in the car, and head to the airport. We had just enough time. If everything worked out great, which it should have had no reason to not work out great, right? Uh, however, when we uh, got home from church and I asked her mom, where is her suitcase? I said, where's your stuff? And she said, what? I have not packed yet. She refused to pack because she was refusing to leave. She's like, I'm not needing to pack because I'm not going anywhere for another four months. So uh, in, in my very gentle, mercy-oriented, loving self, see, the ones of you that know me are the ones that are laughing. Uh, we had recently moved into the house, so we had some boxes. So I just went and got a cardboard box. I went in the room where she was staying because since it was a new house, uh, we didn't have much furniture. We were young and poor. And so anything in the room was hers. So I just took the cardboard box and began stuffing anything in the room into this cardboard box, wrapping it with packing tape as fast as I could, put it in the trunk of the car, and then got us all in the car and then headed off to the airport as fast as we could because things were not going well. And we get uh, to the desk to check her in, and sure enough, the flight had just closed, and she missed the plane. Not good. Oh, oh, she was just very excited about that. Like, see, the Lord wants me to stay another four months. So. so, because we were young, like I said, and poor, I was a school teacher, and that was our only income at the moment. The only way we brought her mother over was to cash in all of our miles. So this was a redeemed, a frequent flyer thing way back before 9-11, build different rules on how that works. And so uh, when I, I told the lady at the desk, uh, okay, when is the next flight that you can get her on? She did her little typing and looked. She said, oh, well, this was a special ticket. Uh, it, it's got blackout dates. Now, this is about two weeks before Christmas when this is happening. And she said, you won't be able to use the uh, return part of this ticket now until February. She was really excited. <laughs> okay, so I'm 5'5", five five, which is not the most imposing figure out there. And again, this was pre-9-11 when you could get away with something like this without getting arrested. But in order to, to make my point a little stronger than I could in my normal self, I, I used the place where you get your baggage weighed to step up on that <laughs> and to lean over the counter to the lady typing, telling me that she was going to leave my mother-in-law here for three more months. And uh, so I stood up on the thing and I looked over the counter at her and I said, this is my mother-in-law. She's been in my house for two months. I'm not leaving this counter until she leaves this country. <laughs> Flight the next day. <laughs> Woo! Hey, so... So far in the series, we've shared with you two stories. Part one was uh, pastor friends of ours, Eric and Lonnie. Then last week, we shared with you our story. Uh, all the while, the hope was to give you uh, hope for your marriage. Uh, if God could do what he did in either of our marriages, he can do that in yours as well. We also wanted you to know you were not alone. If you are uh, facing some difficulties in your marriage, uh, ask for help because you're not alone. But the truth is, your story is probably very different from either of the stories you've heard so far. So today, we're not going to tell you a story again. Uh, instead, what we're going to do is give you four basic principles that will help you 
keep from turning into a villain or help from keeping help from turning your spouse into a villain. So four principles to help keep you or your spouse from becoming the villain. Ready for this? All right, here we go. First principle is how we speak. Ephesians 4:29 says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Three key principles in there. The first one is the occasion. The occasion should be a conversation to heal, to talk about something that you either disagree about or that's been hurtful or a frustration. It should be a life-giving conversation. Instead, the occasion is usually what? A fight and uh, some sort of disagreement. And so then it says, in that occasion, it should be building up. With Whatever speech we have should be building up. But since we don't usually approach it as, well, hey, honey, let's talk about this, and we both keep a smile on our face. Instead, it turns into a fight. What do you do in a fight? You don't build up, you tear down, because that's how you win a fight, right? I mean, that's the whole point. And so the, the first part of that was let no corrupting talk. And if we go back and find out what that word really means, it actually means abusive. And the truth is we're very abusive when the occasion is a fight and we're not trying to build someone up and instead tear them down. And so I, I wanna just give you two phrases that we use a lot and ask you to remove them from your vocabulary. Two phrases that we're uh, very famous for using all the time is you never and you always. And the truth is nobody's spouse never and always. So all you actually are communicating is that you are always frustrated and you never feel like this is going to work out. That's not really what you wanna communicate. That, that's not a very hopeful thing, so, yeah. We had um, some friends of ours that we used to go over for dinner and play cards with them. And if you wanna find out about, if you work with uh, couples and you wanna find out a lot about them, just have them over and play cards and you will know everything there is to know. <laughs> of just their interaction and everything. So as we were interacting, playing uh, these games with these people, the guy said, uh, our friend said, um, are you guys okay with, um, just like you guys are so abusive to each other. <laughs> um, but like he would say, well, Romana doesn't listen. So what happens when you're just like constantly abusive to each other, you just like block it out, like, well, of course, she doesn't listen anymore because it was just so toxic. Yeah, so, so if you speak to each other that way as your default, if that becomes what you do normally at some point, it will spill over into the public. And so that's, of course, kind of what was happening. So it is important right. that we talk. We do need to address issues in a relationship, but it should always be in a way that brings life. At least that should be the goal. That's what we're after, not just to win a fight. So the second point is how we think. So always like from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you have a lot of negative um, thoughts about your spouse, that will come out. And so it will be a cycle of just negative emotions will just spill over. Yes, because our words come from our thoughts, but then our right. words also create and reinforce thoughts. So you just end up in this cycle that you can't get out of. So what's important is that we actually have to guard the thoughts we have when we get frustrated and angry. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't fight like the rest of the world does. Don't say whatever you feel like anytime you feel like it like the rest of the world does. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind 
So it's what we think about our spouse that's really going to affect three very important things. The first one that's gonna affect is your hope for your marriage. If you begin to think there's no hope, then you're not going to feel that God can do something, and that affects the second one, faith that God will move, and then that ultimately affects the third one, and that is prayer that God will do either of those two. So our thoughts cause us to lose our hope, our faith, and our prayer for our marriage. And it's really important that we guard our thoughts because our thoughts at some point take on more of a a permanent status. So if I could say it this way, we actually reframe who our spouse is in our minds. You know, like I said, this translates to any other relationship. And some of us have done this with bosses or, or other people in our lives where we actually give them a label. And obviously for this series, we're using the label villain or lover. But what happens is we, we go from saying, man, that was mean, to you are a mean person. And, and so instead of saying, well, that was not nice, we eventually say, you are a villain. We, we characterize the person as a result of our thoughts. We simply give them a whole new identity. That's why our thoughts are so dangerous. The third principle is how we pray. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now think about that. If that's what Jesus would have us do for the very people that acknowledge they are not on our side, that acknowledge they are attempting to tear us down and they want our demise, if if we're supposed to pray for them, how much more do you think we should be praying for our spouse? Right, so when we got married, we we didn't have any mentors or people to go or even look up to, so... I was just thinking, well, I guess it's just me and the Lord. I did have a strong relationship with the Lord. Uh, that, um, so this book came to me. I don't even know where I got it. it was somebody gave it to me. It's called The Power of a Praying Wife. So I read the book, and then at the end, I think, um, has like prayers that I prayed for Jimmy. And we had this little apartment, and I would just pace back and forth and pray for him as he was at work like he'll be a man of honor, he'll be a great father, he'll be a good husband and, you know, just all these positive prayers that I wanted him to be. Um, And another thing I did was the, (laughs) the Lord, we were just fighting all the time, so the Lord told me one night, because we always slept together, so he said just put your hand on his back and pray for him. I was like, I will not do such thing. I will not. It took me, and, and you know, the Lord is so bossy. Oh, Lord. So just on and on, he just bothered me and bothered me, like just do it. So it took me literally a week to submit my will to the Lord and do it. So, you know, you're like so upset and it's like a foot between you two, you know. But might as well be like, because you're so mad, might, might as well be like a whole ocean. So it's like, mm, oh. So you, I, fin- I finally did it and I started praying the same prayers. Like he's a, he is a good husband, he's a good father. And so she would do that after she thought I was asleep, but I wasn't asleep. But you know, if you've had a fight and you go to bed, the last thing you wanna do is appear restless and frustrated because that makes your spouse think that they won. (laughs) And you want to act like you are totally at peace and have drifted off and are having great dreams. Oh, that used to make me so mad. Dreams. (laughs) 
And so you'd get in bed. I would get in bed and just lie perfectly still because, again, I'm asleep, peaceful and happy, right? And then I felt her put her hand on my back and pray for me. You, you, you want to talk about softening someone's heart. Look, when, when someone starts praying for you and you don't even, they don't even think you know. So you know that they don't think you're aware. So they're not trying to get anything out of it. They're not trying to get any benefit other than the actual prayer. That'll soften your heart. I want to encourage you to think about how you speak, how you think, but also um, pray and pray for your spouse. And uh, so that leads us to our fourth and final principle today, which is how we love. And now, if you're looking at your clock, you're like, man, I got the number four already. We're going to lunch early. No, you're not. Uh, the, the fourth one is a big one, and it's important. The truth is the fourth one is really going to encompass the other three. We could have just talked about this one, but I wanted to highlight those three things very practically. Think about what you're saying, think about what you're thinking, and think about whether or not you're praying. Uh, but with that being said, this, this last one really will encompass everything. And if we can just get this one principle, it'll probably fix anything else ever in our lives. And again, that is how we love. So here's the, the foundation for this idea is we only love because God first loved us, right? That's what the Bible tells us. The only way that we can love God is because God loved us. And it is only in that capacity, receiving love from God, that we are then able to either give it back to him or to another person. And so when God tells us to love our spouse, what he's actually telling us to do is to communicate his nature to them. The Bible says God is love. It's not an adjective, it's his very being. And so if we're supposed to communicate God's being to someone, this is not how we normally use the word. We learn to use the words I love you from like a, a movie from Hollywood or a rom-com or something like that, you know, and, and they, they finally get to the point in the movie where there's a magical kiss and someone says, I love you, and everybody's just having all these butterflies, and it's just a great moment. And so we attach the words to how we feel in a moment. And so then if we don't feel that way in a moment, we remove the idea of communicating love to the other person. So again, it shouldn't be feeling-based. It should be the character of God communicated. The best passage that I think to to help us understand what is the love of God, comes out of 1 Corinthians 13, and it says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, you've probably heard that before. Matter of fact, if this is your first time in church, you've still probably heard that before. It's poetic, it's beautiful. You've probably read parts of it on Hallmark cards. You've probably heard it quoted at weddings many times. And, and so we, we think we know this passage. As soon as somebody starts reading it, you go, oh yeah, I've, I've heard that one. Kind of like, oh yeah, I've seen that episode on your favorite show. But what I want us to do today is go back and look at those words at a deeper level. I want us to have a greater understanding of what those words are actually asking of us. So here we go. Started with saying love is patient. And for us, the idea of patient 
is make sure you have a, a good game on your phone when you have to wait somewhere. We get the idea of being at, like at the DMV, you know, when you go in and they tell you to pull a number and you get number 562, and then you hear the next number they call, 348. You're like, oh, man, okay, get out pseudo, you know what I mean? <laughs> we, we think it's just about waiting. But actually what it means is waiting through difficulty. It's not just about being there for a while, but it is staying the course through difficulty. As we talked about in part two, every single person brings into the marriage a degree of emotional and spiritual health. So love is patient. It's talking about waiting through the difficulty of your spouse growing in both of those areas. And more importantly, waiting through the difficulty of when your spouse is not growing like you'd want them to, and waiting through the difficulty of God bringing them to a place where they do begin to grow. And that is hard. That is really, really hard. Um, for me, it was uh, worship. Um, I was standing on that verse where God says, I will inhabit the praises of my people. So as I was worshiping, I knew that the Lord would come down and he would refresh me and replenish me. So it would give me hope and um, just the will to go on um, because it's been so, it was just so hard just to hope and persevere. Yeah. Then it says love is kind. This simply means doing something beneficial for the other person. You have to ask yourself the question, what did you do today that makes your spouse's life better because you're in it? You know, we've all got maybe a little thing we do like, well, you know, make their coffee or, you know, fill their car up with gas once a week or, or some strange little thing that, you know, whatever the routine is in your family. But the question is, is there something that you did today? Maybe even is there something you did before lunch and before dinner and before bedtime that brought value to your spouse because you are in their life. The truth is a lot of us go into marriage hoping that that's what the other person does. Like, you know, they're gonna cook for me, they're gonna clean for me, or they're gonna make a lot of money for me, or they're gonna do this or that. And how often do we ask the question, what benefit am I to them? And it says, love does not envy. And that's a rather strange one in the context of marriage, isn't it? I mean, because how often are you jealous of your spouse? What would you be jealous of your spouse for? Some versions do use the word jealous there. What it's talking about is that you want their success and you don't resent if they are successful even before or over you. And this can happen in many ways. One person's career advances and another person's does not. One person finds a lot of excitement in serving God. They kind of find their, their niche in ministry and volunteering, and, and the other person is kind of frustrated and not sure what God's called them to do. And so one may begin to resent the other. This happens a lot with uh, younger couples that are trying to, you know, take that step forward. And so one needs to go back and get a master's degree. The other one wants to change careers, needs to get their first degree or something like that. And, and, and the, the deal usually goes a little something like, okay, honey, I'll work this job that's, you know, nine to five and miserable while you go back to school. And then when you've got the better paycheck and you're doing what you want, then I'll go back to school. But how many times have you seen Life changes in between. Along comes kids, or along comes a sickness, or along comes a different job situation, or, or, or the economy changes. And before you know it, one spouse got their half of the bargain and the other didn't. 
And it's very easy for resentment to come in because they are succeeding and we think maybe we're not. And so it's important if we're gonna communicate God's nature is we want their success at all costs, above all. We want them to succeed and then they want us to succeed. And if both people actually are having that kind of love towards each other, then that's where it gets good. All right. Then it says, love does not boast or is not proud. Um, I felt like I was proud a lot, like I was more spiritual, you know, just more spiritual. I was a lot ahead of him, so I was just praying for him because I was so cool. Well. So, <laughs> so, yeah, explain that a little bit better than what I did. <laughs> well, what it's talking about is, is usually there is a spouse who thinks they're the good spouse. Right. And uh, when we sit down with a couple for marriage counseling, there's always one that hopes we're gonna talk to the other. <laughs> no one ever comes and says, fix me, I'm the problem. I've never heard that in all my years of pastoring. Uh, but it's always, you know, well, my husband or my wife, you know, they always think they're the good one. That's boasting, it's being proud because you're probably wrong about it. And if you're right, now you're wrong about it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, as soon as you decide you don't need to work on you, you're not perfect. I mean, Jesus was, we're not. And so if you are the good spouse, if you are more emotionally mature and spiritually mature, then the last thing you're going to do is say, oh, look at me, I'm the good one. No, what you're gonna do is say, wow, there's still something I can work on in me. And so let's not make ourselves the good spouse who thinks there's no work to be done. That's what that means. Then it goes on to say, love does not dishonor others. Some versions actually just say love is not rude. And you may think that this is talking about the way you speak about your spouse when in public or maybe when they're not there. And this is important, by the way. It's a really good idea that you do speak about your spouse in an honoring way. I can't tell you how many times we've both experienced in a life group, like if I'm leading a men's group or she's leading a women's group, that somebody always says, hey, you know, could you guys pray with me for my husband or could you pray with me for my wife? And then they proceed to tell a story that is so dishonoring that what happens is God answers the prayer and then their wife or their husband finally comes to church and the people in the group are like, well, I know about you, man. I can't believe you'd show your face around here. You know, that kind of, you know it's a problem. We dishonor our spouse even in a prayer request. What happens when when God touches your spouse and they show up for church and everybody looks at them like some kind of dirty dog or something, you know? So, but the, the real meaning behind this is not so much what you say about them, it's what you say to them because the real meaning here says, do not act unbecomingly. I feel so British when I say that, unbecomingly. And if you think about how many of us, if somebody came to you and said, hey, you know the last time you guys had a fight, we got a video of it. You'd be like, no, you know, because we know we act unbecomingly, right? We say things, we throw a temper tantrum, we have our little fit, we act like children, and we're like, oh my gosh, please tell me nobody saw that. Do not be rude is really what it's kind of getting at. Well, we used to fight on the phone a lot. Like, he would go to work, and I would call him, and so we would fight and fight and fight. And then... Um, I would just hang up on him because that's so mature, you know, like show him. So, but he, last time we did that, um, he called me back. I was like, this guy has the nerve to call me back. This is ridiculous. So um, 
I answered, but I was like really upset. So I was like, what? And uh, he was like, well, you hung up on me. That was, that was rude. I'm like, so calm. So that kind of <laughs> took me by surprise, like, oh, okay. And I started yelling like, so what do you want me to do, apologize? And he's like, well, that would be a good start, you know. So <laughs> we, we have learned through the years that a soft, a soft answer um, turns away wrath. It's in Proverbs. There right. you go. And it says, love is not self-seeking. This is simply about wanting your own way. I mean, come on. We, we want our own way, right? We, we want our kind of mattress. We want our kind of pillow. Man, it took forever to buy a mattress because we are like the opposite on that. And then pillows, we finally just gave up. We got four different pillows. We know exactly whose is whose. Uh, you know, we, we did a book study together with some folks uh, in a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the habits for effective people is they think win, win. Right. But too many of us think win, lose, or win, I don't care as long as I win. You know, it's just what I want. And uh, most of these fights of getting your way uh, they're usually happening around the newlywed when you're first learning to live together and you're like, you know, this brand of, of mayonnaise or this brand of ketchup. Like, you know, we got married. She moves from Romania and her idea of mayonnaise is anything made out of eggs and oil or something. That's the organic kind. Uh, no, what are you talking about? That's so how you make the mayonnaise. I had to teach her the only way is Duke's mayonnaise. <laughs> there. There's a, there's a correct way. But anyway, uh, back to the point. We're having this newlywed sort of fight all over, even though we've been married almost 25 years now because we renovated our kitchen. And you know, when you just get married, you're kind of like, where does the bread go? Well, uh, since we moved every single thing, I mean, we gutted the studs and moved walls. So nothing is where it used to be. And now we have a drawer on each side of our stove. And so uh, she starts putting everything back and, and she puts the pot holders on the right side of the stove in the drawer, and then she puts all the utensils that we use to cook on the left side when we're both right-handed. Now, you, you use a, a utensil everything you do. You only use a pot holder when you need to get a pan out of the oven. So I'm just thinking frequency of use here. So I switched them. I can't, oh. <laughs> I, oh, I can't even go there. And so then she switches them back. Of course, because that's how they go. That is, <laughs> And I'm thinking, how could you not see the genius? Like, when it was switched, I expected her to open the drawer and go, Lord, like an angel singing, like, aha, this is brilliant. So, so win-win. Yes, they're all, the pot holder is on the right side. <laughs> we put them in, a, so I bought this pretty pot and put all the utensils in the pot. On the, so they're all on the right. Which means we have a useless drawer on the left. If anybody needs extra storage, we can put something I, in our house for you. I don't care. You. When? When? When. There you go. Love is not easily angered, and it simply means to not be easily provoked. The truth is many of us are easily provoked. As we told you in our story last week, we would fight and never really reconcile, and so the next fight would start there, and then the next fight would start there, and the next fight. And so we were constantly ready to go. I mean, and we were ready to go from where we left off, so we were obviously very easily provoked. And so I think the reason this phrase goes with the next one is because it's dependent upon the next one. Your ability to not be easily provoked is dependent upon the next one that says, keep no record of wrongs. I don't do that. <laughs> it's just too much mental space. 
to hold on to all that. So the original language means <laughs> to keep a mental record for future purposes. So you yeah, keep don't do something, that. You don't, and that's why you lost so many fights. <laughs> because, you right? know, when you, you fight with somebody and they say, I don't do that, give me an example. You have to start coming up with it. You have to document the examples, right, for the next fight. And so you begin to keep a record of wrongs. You're collecting material for future. Because it's too much mental space. Yes, That's that is true. So here's the point. That's really good for trial lawyers, really bad for marriages. I want to recommend you don't keep a record of accounts. There you go. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't talk about stuff. Um, just keep a short account. So like you get mad, just softly. <laughs> um, before you get frustrated and irritated, um, just discuss, discuss calm, calmly with kindness. So resolve quickly. Don't let frustration just like escalate. And then this next phrase, it's really interesting how it goes together because it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. And you gotta think, wait a minute, how does delighting in evil come into the context of love? And, and what this actually means is that you take pleasure in winning at the expense of ungodly methods. And the primary one that the original language is referring to here is dishonest behavior. Think about how many times in a fight you're a little bit dishonest with your side of the story. Because, I mean, if you go into court and say, yep, I did that, you're going to jail kind of thing, you know? I mean, and so when you get into a fight with your spouse and they say, well, you do this too, you don't usually say you're right, I'm sorry. So we, we begin to be a little dishonest with our perspective. We, we hide maybe the, you're right, I did that kind of thing in order to win the fight. And so that's why it's coupled with does not delight in evil, but actually rejoices with truth because the opposite of dishonest behavior is to get to the bottom of truth. Matter of fact, if it's true and you both know that it's true, there's nothing to fight about anymore. And so that's the whole point is getting to a place where you know what is real. And so what you have to do is listen. Truth is how your spouse feels in that moment. And when they say that hurts, then it, it hurts. And you, you can't just say, well, you don't have no right to be hurt. You can't do that. And so to get to a place of truth, it requires listening and it requires self-examination to be able to, to say, do I really do that? When I do that, that's how you feel. And when I say that, and, and if we can, can be people who seek truth, well, that really hurt you. And then the spouse is like, well, that hurts you. Well, I didn't realize that. And, I mean, if we become truth seekers instead of defensive at the expense of the truth, we actually can come to a place. I, I want to say something like um, me and him will just exchange a lot of, but he, he will be right on a lot of stuff. A lot, I will have a lot of blind spots and I will have no idea I have them because your friends are not telling you. <laughs> They're just whatever. So he will tell me stuff, but I'll have to go to the Lord and ask the Lord, is whatever he said true? So the Lord will have to tell me because um, he's so sweet and corrects you without um, making you feel bad. Yeah. So the last four says love protects. Love always protects. It simply means to cover. It's like putting a blanket on a cold child. That's, that's what a loving relationship does is it protects your spouse. It says love always trusts. 
simply means that you believe the best and you give the benefit of the doubt. You have confidence in their good intentions and in their truthfulness. Now, the sad truth is we, we all know that sin causes truth to be breached, and sometimes in a relationship, trust is, is lost. And it's important for me to say two things. Number one, if trust has been lost in a marriage due to a sin issue, it is very important that we deal with that through confession, repentance, forgiveness, and we move on. We have to rebuild trust. You, you cannot have a lasting relationship where you just say, well, trust was broken five years ago, and so I don't trust you anymore. It's not going to work. You can't move forward. You, you will have to rebuild and restore trust. But if you're at the beginning of a relationship, maybe you're in a, a situation dating and you're thinking, well, I don't really trust this person, then stop dating this person. We live in a world that says trust should be earned. And I'm gonna tell you, no, no trust should be assumed and given from the beginning because that's the character of the person that we're believing in. If you are with a person that you don't believe their character is trustworthy, then why? Why do you stay with them? And you know, it may be your first date, you don't know them yet, I get that. But over time, as the relationship grows, trust needs to grow equivalently with that. Does that make sense? Right. So we need to trust. Love hopes and love perseveres. Um, <laughs> you can't do that without the Lord. You have to have the Lord to refresh you constantly and replenish, replenish you. Yeah. It's about continuing even through suffering is right. what perseveres means. And so we're gonna close with one sentence out of First Peter, but we had to do all of that just to get to this, this final verse because otherwise we wouldn't really have context for it. But he says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And earnestly here means to have a sincere and intense conviction. Think about what that means. To keep doing what we just read about. Every one of those words and all of the meanings of them, keep communicating the nature of God to your spouse with such a sincere and intense conviction that it covers a multitude of sins doesn't mean to ignore sin or, or hide sin. What it means is that it overpowers sin through forgiveness and confession because we love as God loved us. It's the love of God that overpowered the sin of our lives. And that's what God is calling us to do to our spouse. But the truth is, we very rarely love as God loves. We love as humans love because we're human. Problem is, human love is an idea we get from movies. It's fickle, it's selfish, it's pretty short-lived, and it is always feeling-based. So when you don't feel like it, you don't do it anymore. But that is not God's love. God's love is who he is all the time to another person because it's what we receive from him all the time because he loves us. So the bottom line for the whole series, villain or lover, it's a choice. It's a choice each of us will make as to who we're gonna be. Are we going to be a villain or not? And then are we going to see our spouse as a villain 
We're not. It is a choice that each of us makes. Let us pray for you. Father God, we thank you so much for your, your blessing to bring a spouse into our lives, someone to be with us who will communicate to us the very nature of you. Someone who will be with us through the good, through the bad, and will help make us a better person. So God, we thank you for the gift of marriage. God, we pray for every marriage here that you will, you will bring your nature, your revelation of love to each spouse and help each spouse do that for the other. God, we pray that you will make marriages stronger and that we will be people who demonstrate who you are to the one that we love. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The truth is the greatest demonstration of God's love ever was when he sent his son to die on the cross for us, even though we didn't yet love him. And when he did, he gave us not only his love, but through his love, he gave us forgiveness and eternal life. But every one of us at some point in history has to make the exchange of the life we've been living for the one Jesus died to give us. And if you've never done that, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me, and I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Amen.